Marini's Media. championship season is just days away will it be as dramatic elongated and unprecedented as the last one flipping hope not this is the totally football league show That new music could have come straight out of a moderately successful heist movie franchise from the late 90s. Possibly directed by Guy Ritchie, definitely with producer Abby as the shady boss who controls things from the fringes. Yes, welcome in, listener. We're back again talking all things Football League. Well, just the championship on this week's show. More on that later. I'm Matt Davis-Adams. Coming up, our preview of the world's most unpredictable league. But first, allow me to introduce my guests. Wearing number nine, a prolific poacher called Parky, or Sam Parkin. Hi, Sam. Hello, Matt. How are you doing? I am very well, thank you. Sam played for 10 EFL clubs, so he knows the score. Also on board, the former Arsenal Stevenage and Southend winger, now a man of a thousand tactics boards, Adrian Clark. What's new, Clarkie? Hello. Yeah, not a lot. It's good to be back though, isn't it? Enjoying this. It sure is. Uh, as the season rolls on, we're going to be introducing additional pundits to keep these two on their toes. So keep your ears out for some new EFL aficionados and some familiar faces slash voices. Plus, the big news is that the Totally Football League show will be going twice a week. More on that later, but that means we are the ultimate place for your EFL news and reaction, so make sure you've hit that subscribe button. And it means that we can do the biggest and bestest EFL preview shows out there. But before all that, there was some EFL slash League slash Carabao Cup action this weekend. Should we have a quick chat about it? You're listening to the Totally Football League show sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled football coverage by heading to theathletic.com forward slash league show. So the EFL Cup got started this weekend and the Crawley Town manager really enjoyed it. We decided to play a slightly different formation today with Nadison leading the line. What was the thinking behind this? Hopefully we win the game. What will we take away from today's performance going into Gillingham on Tuesday? I don't know. John yams, but John doesn't yarn. Sam, you watched Luton beat Norwich. What did you learn? I learned that Norwich are going to be strong, uh, irrelevant of having 17 players, uh, I think, give or told, with international call-ups and, and injuries and suspensions carried over from the Premier League. Still going to be strong. Um, really like the performance of Kieran Dow. I think he'll make a, a big difference um, to their attacking output in terms of assists. He looked the classiest player on the pitch by a considerable distance. So I think they're going to be strong. But obviously there's a, a lot of variables and a caveat to that. There's going to be a lot of players going to be moving in the next couple of weeks. So we have to wait and see. For Luton, I think pretty much as they were, really, in terms of the squad, like for like, the, the signings. I like Jordan Clark. I think we've spoken about him before from Atkinson Stanley. He provided a, a really good assist when he came on. Um, but defensively, they have to improve and they have to get back to the intensity that they showed previously under Nathan Jones. So that's what we're waiting to see. If they can do that, they will finish well away from the relegation zone. But we'll have to see how he does with the whole season back in charge. So I guess you'd call that something of a shock result. Some other surprises, Adrian, too. Plymouth beating QPR, Birmingham losing at home to Cambridge, Swansea going down 2-0 at Newport, Northampton beating Cardiff 3-0 and Huddersfield losing at home 
to Rochdale. Nobody wants to start the season with a defeat, obviously, but given this is going to be so compacted, it might actually do some of those teams a favour that they'll have less games to cram in into an already bloated schedule. I guess so. I wouldn't I wouldn't really disagree with that because teams and managers have, have often treated the early stages of this competition lightly anyway. They've used it to rotate and and that you would imagine will will be even more prevalent in the coming weeks because there are so many league games to, to fit in. That said, I do think given the lack of pre-season, having plenty of football at the moment is is not necessarily a bad thing. It gives you that, that extra opportunity to fine-tune things. And, and I do think that for Huddersfield and for Birmingham City, two new managers, of course, at the helm, quite damaging starts for them. It's put them on the back foot, losing at home to, to lower league opposition, not looking too dangerous inside the final third, not scoring any goals. So it's a really bad start for, for those two clubs ahead of what should be the opening day of the season, of course, this weekend. Yeah, the season gets underway this weekend and we will preview it now. So the championship season kicks off on Friday night as newly relegated Watford host Middlesbrough. And before we get all club specific, let's have some general chat. We've been tweeted at the Totally Show is the handle by Death Taxes and Noble Francis in the Fiver. Me neither. Uh, they say, of course, I'll be proved wrong come the end of the season. But does it seem like the championship is at its weakest in a while? What do you think, Adrian? I guess the, the thing here is not many of the teams who've come down look as though they're in a brilliant position to go straight back up again. How do you define weakest? I think I'll, I'll bat that one back to the to the listener because it's wide open, in my view. Yeah, there might not be a team that looks as strong as Leeds United on paper, but but ahead of last season, I don't think that many people were tipping West Brom for automatic, and, and they did it in the end, and, and, and Fulham, I guess, were, were among the favourites. So, so, so three big teams have left the division, but... I don't think they're that weak. The sides that, that came down, they weren't, apart from Norwich, um, they weren't really cut adrift too early. And in the case of, of, of the teams that have come down, Bournemouth and Norwich in particular seem to have hung on to, to most of their their players, which which I think will be important. Obviously, that could change between now and the end of the window. So no, I, I don't necessarily think it'll be weaker. I think it'll be just as interesting as ever. Possibly more exciting because for me... There will be teams that, that really struggled that shouldn't have done last season, like Stoke, like Middlesbrough, that will improve quite quite a lot in my view. And and then you've got you've got you've got teams that narrowly missed out, your Brentfords, your Cardiffs, your Swansea's. I, I think they will be they will be really strong as well. So no, I I don't think it's going to be weaker in answer to that point. What do you think, Sam? It's it's tough to pick a, an obvious candidate as the as the favourites for promotion. Yeah, I, I understand the question. But I'm in com- complete agreement with with Adrian. Maybe you haven't got the real star quality of a Leeds United, and maybe they weren't particularly cohesive, West Brom and Fulham, but they had the quality individuals. So I understand what he's saying. But I think we've got a collection of teams. When you look at the sides that missed out, you Cardiff, Swansea, Brentford, although Brentford may be a bit of an owner, a bit of an unknown quantity given the the, the outgoings. I think Forest will improve. I think Derby will improve. And then you've got the three coming down, which obviously we're going to judge probably in a fortnight's time, three weeks' time, when we know what those starting 11s and what the 18s on a match day are going to look like. So, no, I think it could be really exciting, but we're probably not going to have that team that captures 
everyone's attention and that we had with Leeds United over the last 12 months. So that's the way I see it, but I see a really close fight. Maybe he's doing a slight disservice to the teams that are coming up in Wickham, Rotherham and Coventry. But as we've seen yesterday, Wickham will continue to surprise teams and shock teams. And I think Coventry, for different reasons, will do so because they're a good football inside. How about transfer-wise, Clarky? Daniel Brewerton sings been on. He wants to know who's had the best transfer window thus far. It's a good, it is a good question. I, I, I'd rather um, hold fire on that until it's over. I, I have to say that Bristol City and Holden, I think, have, have brought in some some good players. Joe Williams, I really like who they brought in from Wigan in midfield. Alfie Mawson, I think, will, will improve them hugely at centre-back. And Chris Martin, he is what he is, but, but he's not going to score you 20 goals a season, but he'll chip in and, and, and provide good work rate and, and offer competition for places in a good plan B. So I think Bristol City have invested wisely. I think Norwich, I, I like the signing of Ben Gibson and some of their other bits of recruitment. And and I think the pick of the loanies so far, I'd say, would, would go to Swansea, surprise, surprise. Uh, with Steve Cooper. Morgan Gibbs-White is a player I've, I've sort of kept tabs on for a while and, and I was slightly surprised he didn't feature more for Wolves last season. He's a real talent, every bit as talented as, as say, Conor Gallagher, who was there last year. So so I think that he will he will really shine in the Championship for Swansea this year. Uh, yeah, for more on that, by the way, as a, a really good interview Stuart James has done with Steve Cooper on The Athletic and uh, they talk about some of those low knees and why they were attracted to to the club in that so do check it out if you're an athletic subscriber um sam in, in terms of other transfer business says the most optimistic slash biased presenter <laughs> in the world i quite like what forest have done lyle taylor jack colback miguel guerrero luke freeman tyler blackett and and your old sparring partner from scotland fuad bashiru yeah i mean he stood out because in the hurly burly nature of the scottish championship we had this very classy midfield player who seemed to have time on the ball so it did stick in my mind but i lost track of him subsequently he's playing for green at morton at the time i would have been at queen of the south um and he's had a really good few years in sweden playing for ostersons and um, malmo latterly so if memory serves me right he can win the ball but also um pretty capable with it as well so you should look forward to seeing him agree with, with both of you I think Forrest needed to get that championship experience to guarantee them goals creativity they'll get that in Freeman and Lyle Taylor and Blackett's career probably fell off a little bit but then he's been back uh, you know in the ascendancy some really good performances under Mark Bowen can play left back and centre half obviously full backs I think is at the moment a bit of a talking point for Forrest certainly who's going to replace Matty Cash on the other side but overall one big hole to plug at Swansea in that they haven't got Rian Brewster anymore but Swansea's business for me is the best I like Jamal Lowe because he's a Hampton Richmond boy but um, <laughs> very good player good signing Corey Smith from Bristol City excellent and the, the loanies that Adrian touched on will be, should be very good quality in the, in the championship. So I like that. If they can get a striker, Swansea will go close again. Adrian, do you think we're going to see lots more moves made before the window closes next month? If only because there's going to need to be greater squad depth for a lot of these clubs this season because of the fact that the games are going to come so thick and fast. Yeah, it would depend on, on finances, of course, won't it? How much of, of these teams got to play with how much is left in the budgets? I think that, yeah, there's, there's bound to be a lot of activity. 
and, and wheeling and dealing more player swaps, more loan loan moves. I think that loans will be huge right across the EFL this season with with smaller squads on the books of clubs and and maybe you know more marquee loan arrivals coming in, particularly in the championship. So so what I think will happen is that there'll be an awful lot of scouts at under twenty three matches between now and the close of the transfer window, just checking out who the best young talent is in and around Premier League teams. And half of them will end up in the Championship by, by the time we get get to October. So, yeah, lots, lots more to come. But um, it's, it's actually been livelier than I'd imagined, given given the state of, of, of football's finances at the moment. I'm, I'm surprised we've seen as many moves as we have. A change that we've had from previous years is that the 3pm blackout is no longer in place, meaning that games can be screened in that traditional Saturday slot. Obviously, this in response to the fact supporters aren't yet back allowed into the stadiums. We'll see if that continues when they are. That's all well and good, but what about my team, I hear you ask, listener? Well, if they're in the championship, there's half a chance we might be about to talk about them. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. And I'm wondering what it is I should do. Ah, the bees, so close to the honeypot that is the Premier League before watching their form buzz off at just the wrong time and their season wither and die like a bee that done a sting. Frankly, Thomas's team are favourites with Paddy Power to win the whole flipping thing this time around and avoid playoff woe. Um, Sam, I guess it's going to be about how quickly they can shake off that disappointment that came at the end of last season. Yeah, and history tells us that they're slow starters. You look back, 18-19 won three of the first six games and won two of the subsequent 16 so slightly improved last year but only won three of the first 11 they managed to turn it around relatively quickly but they can't afford to do that again because they'll want to avoid a playoff um, campaign at all costs so it's going to be really interesting I don't make them favourites of course they'll be in they'll be in the shake-up but I just think one of those Relegated sides maybe have too much in their squad, even after a few inevitable departures, to, to deal with the the structure of the championship campaign this season better than Brentford. I think teams are going to enjoy going to Brentford uh, with or without supporters in there, going to the new stadium. That wasn't the case. We know, speaking to championship players in previous seasons on this podcast, that I think is a bit of a running joke that people just hated going there because it's it wasn't nice surroundings and you invariably got passed off the pitch as well. So, yeah, they're going to be there or thereabouts, but it's who they replace the departures, uh, the prospective departures of Ollie Watkins and Ben Rama, who they bring in to supply the assists and the goals. That's going to be the biggest question mark for me before I can can really uh, put all my eggs in their basket. And and I think they need to be quite quick with their decision-making here, Brentford, and, and move on from those two, because I think it could be disruptive to have them them around the place for, for a prolonged period of time, knowing that they're going to be sold. Will you use them or not use them? Probably not, if, you, if you're looking at the Carabao Cup game against Wickham as an example. I just feel that they need to decide... 
if we are selling them, let's let's crack on and get on with it because the sooner they move on from those two, uh, the better it will be for the team as a whole. Otherwise, you, you might have one or two you know factions inside inside that dressing room. There's also question marks about the goalkeeper, of course, David Ray. What's what's going to happen with him? So um, yeah, I'm with Sam actually. I, I think playoffs. Again, for Brentford, if I'm being brutally honest, I think they'll do exceptionally well to, to make top two, especially if those two do indeed go. Mm, can be hard to say goodbye to a BMW. My dad found that in 1993 when uh, he got rid of his. He'd bought off Chris Woods. Um, is there a, a counter argument, <laughs> possibly, Sam, to be made that if you keep those players around for a bit, you know, transfer window closes early October and they bang in a few goals, it could actually work to your advantage. You know, we've seen today Callum Wilson signing for, for Newcastle from Bournemouth, so they aren't going to get his goals. But if you get four, five, six games of Watkins and Ben Rama still sticking around, they might be the points that, that end up taking them up. Or is it, is it not worth it for the potential negative impact on the dressing room that, that Clark has alluded to? Yeah, I think I'd go with Clarkie. You just want your, your players in as soon as possible. I, I think I felt towards the end of last season... It, sporadically we saw flashes of Ben Rama's brilliance but I didn't think he was as consistent I thought he was poor actually at Swansea uh, in the first leg wasn't it and, and just chose the wrong decision on too many options I wouldn't be concerned about Ollie Watkins ca- character but I feel the moving on now would be right and give Thomas Frank the opportunity to get some new players in with that having outlaid 10 million or whatever it was on Ivan Tony, I think it's rising to 10 million you, you'd like to think that's with a view to to Ollie Watkins going to be moving on the next couple of weeks and just on Tony didn't get his goal yesterday but Brentford create chances we've seen that over numerous years with Hogan and um, Andre Gray and um, obviously Mope more recently so his movement was very good yesterday he looks like such a confident individual that I've no doubt that he will get them the goals it's probably who's going to chip in you know from the flanks to supplement that now, Athletic subscribers, if you're a fan of Norwich, Watford, Bournemouth, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday or the two-time European champions Nottingham Forest, you get a dedicated writer covering your club. Let's hear from some such people now talking about the teams they cover and the expectations thereupon. Even before Watford's relegation was confirmed at the Emirates on the final day of the Premier League season, it was clear that things had to change after the debacle that was 2019-20 at Vicarage Road with three head coaches sacked. Some will have questioned the sanity of Vladimir Ivic stepping into the job, but already it is clear that the Serbian who won back-to-back titles with Maccabi Tel Aviv and a cup at Pauk has started to turn the tanker in the right direction. A new sporting director, Cristiano Gioretta, has joined to try and change the mood and squad churn is in full effect. Decore has gone and expect many more to follow, including the captain Troy Deeney, who himself has insisted he still deserves to be a Premier League striker. Ishmael Assar will be the one that they want to hold on to the most, though. If hook or by crook they can, he's capable of doing untold damage to championship defences. There are other exciting prospects as well. Jeremy Ngakia has joined from West Ham. Two high-end loanees who had successful Spanish seasons, Pervez Estupinian and Luis Suarez. 2.0 are back in the squad, for now at least, while Domingos Quina, João Pedro and... 
Ben Wilmot, who knows the terrain having spent last season at Swansea, have helped freshen up the squad. Ins and outs will keep on coming, mark my words, through until the domestic deadline. Ivic seems comfortable with a pressurised target of promotion and with his steely glare, look out for that, who would want to disagree with him? Watford fans certainly won't. Winning games and enjoying football, albeit from a distance, is an exciting prospect. It's been a summer of real change for Bournemouth and their supporters who have not only had to come to terms with relegation from the Premier League, but also the departure of Eddie Howe. A club legend who took the club from League Two to the highest of heights in the Premier League. His exit really did send shockwaves across the South Coast. But from next weekend, there'll be a new man in the dugout. It'll be his long-term assistant, Jason Tyndall, who represents something of an unknown quantity, having never managed at a professional level. But he has spoken about furthering Eddie Howe's legacy. His familiarity with the players could be key, and he knows he needs to hit the ground running as a club are targeting immediate promotion. Owner Maxim Demon outlined his ambition as soon as the club went down, stating that he wants the team to return to a level that he believes they belong at, in something that was very much an unprecedented statement from a, a very secretive owner. This does feel like Bournemouth's best shot, coupling parachute payments and the, and the remnants of a PL squad. They have had to weather a few exits already. Callum Wilson, the latest, joining Newcastle United. He follows Nathan Ake and Aaron Ramsdale out the door. And there could be a few more too. Joshua King is certainly expected to leave before the transfer window closes. But Tyndall does have the remnants of a Premier League core. As yet, there haven't been any new faces, and that's certainly a talking point. They do need to strengthen, certainly in wide areas. Harry Wilson and Ryan Fraser have both left this summer, which does leave them short. But if Jason Tyndall can combine those elements, he can overcome the negativity that comes with relegation and also the shock of Howe's exit, then Bournemouth will feel they have a good chance of going up in what will be a very exciting season. The answer to the question of what has changed at Nottingham Forest since their last outing is quite a simple one. It's 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 a lot. They signed players like Jack Colback, Tyler Blackett, Lyle Taylor. All of those arrived on free transfers and will bring championship experience and, and proven quality. Uh, as well as that, they signed uh, Fuad Bacharou uh, from Malmo for a small fee. He looks like a, a kind of N'Golo Kante type of midfielder. Uh, and, and Miguel Guerrero in the kind of traditional signing from Olympiacos that seems to happen uh, every other summer. As well as that, Luke Freeman arrived on loan. He'll, he'll bring some real creative quality in that, that number 10 role, all of which gives Forrest quite a different look. They've lost Ben Watson, who hasn't signed a new deal. There's still a very, very slim chance that he might still return, but I, I think it's very, very unlikely. He wants to move uh, back to London for family reasons and has a number of options there. And Matty Cash obviously went for... £14 million to Aston Villa in a deal that could eventually be worth £16 million with £2 million in, in add-ons as well. As for expectation levels from this point, they don't really change it, Forrest. They, they, they want to win promotion. Fans expect them to win promotion. The hierarchy expect them to win promotion. And uh, the cold, harsh truth is that if Sabri Lamucci isn't delivering a promotion push by uh, probably January, then, then Forrest might look to to change manager again but hopefully he'll continue the good work he put in last season which saw them have despite the disappointing finale Forrest had the best season in nine years and were as close to achieving a playoff place as they've been in since Billy Davis's first spell in charge so there is positivity amid the gloom and, and, and Lamucci's task is to make sure that shines through again in the coming weeks and months 
Norwich City are back in the Championship, familiar surroundings, and it will be really interesting how they get on. I think a lot has changed since their pretty abject Premier League relegation. They've made 11 new signings and they've only lost Jamal Lewis. They have got three ostracised players as well out of the first team group in Josip Trimic, Moritz Leitner and Tom Treibel. Two of those were very important to them uh, winning the championship title two years ago. It's a huge group. Daniel Fark is going to um, certainly be busy keeping everyone happy. It's a really difficult task for him. And the number of new signings has meant that the group is really there is a refreshed mentality at the moment and, and a freshness to it. There are some really big signings. I'm not going to list them all because there's a lot of them, but uh, Ben Gibson at centre-back, I think, is is a position that Norwich was short of last year, basically due to fitness. So having five centre-backs at the moment is is crucial. I will be fascinated to see how Chemisław uh, Kwaheta does. He's a lightning fast Polish under 21 international. Kieran Dow has everything to make an impact going forwards for Norwich City and uh, Oliver Skip as well, who is on loan from Tottenham. Of course, we don't know if any other players will leave as well. At, at the moment, Ben Godfrey, Max Ahrens, Todd Campwell, Amy Buendia, they're all still in that squad. This season, a, a bigger squad with probably better depth. The manager knows what it takes to win at this level. I really do expect Norwich to be challenging for automatic promotion. There are lots of questions they have to answer in terms of their mentality and in terms of how they deal with being beaten up by uh, championship sides. And it'll be up to them to find the right answers. But they have everything that they could possibly need to make an immediate return to the Premier League. That was Adam Leventhal on Watford, Peter Rutzler on Bournemouth, Paul Taylor on Forest, and Michael Bailey on Norwich. Uh, we'll have a look at some of the teams that we think might be surprise contenders this time around. What about Stoke, Sam? Um, bought in experience in John Obi Mikel, perhaps the most Stoke City signing ever. Uh, Stephen Fletcher as well, proven championship experience. Surely they'd be better than last term. Yeah, I really like the manager. Yeah, 14 wins of his 33 games after Nathan Jones could only manage two in the, the previous 15. Huge upturn just in, um, I think, the organisation, motivational skills that that manager brings. Like the signing of Stephen Fletcher, he obviously had one of his best goal-scoring seasons, I think, for a number of years at Sheffield Wednesday. There's a bit of an imbalance in the squad. Seven centre-backs currently and, and five centre-forwards, good quality centre-forwards who will all expect to play. So there'll probably be a little bit of movement, expecting them to start in a in a 3-5-2, given two brilliant pre-season results over Leeds and Newcastle at the weekend. So, yeah, everything points towards a much better season for Stoke. They, they have to improve, but um, we've been burnt with them before, haven't we? <laughs> Anybody else, Adrian, who you think might might break from the pack and surprises? Yeah, we have been burnt by Stoke. I, I think, yeah, I, I would put them as as contenders. Um, the two that I'd chuck in are Millwall and Middlesbrough. Um, I think that the Millwall have a very good manager in Gary Rowett. He did he did improve the team, and they weren't far away. They weren't a million miles away from making the playoffs last season, and they've brought in a bit of quality. Troy Parrott on loan from Spurs will give them a different options Scott Malone's come in and, and more importantly they've held on to the bulk of the players that that got them into a decent position last year defensively really solid love the centre halves and the keeper I think is one of one of the best in the division certainly was last year Bialkowski so so yeah Millwall for me will will be a tough nut to crack a bit like Cardiff last year and Borough even though they need to sign players 
They've got the right. They've got the right gaffer, no doubt about it, and they've got a good front too. I think if you've got a, a, a strike pairing that 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 operate on, you know, operate happily under a coach, and the early signs are that Asombalonga and Fletcher like working with Warnock, I think it can take you quite a long way. So I'd imagine those two will score plenty. Um, what they need is a new goalkeeper and probably a centre half as well. But you remember with Middlesbrough bulk of their side are young guys on the rise and I think that, that they will be better for last season's experience so so for me Middlesbrough I would expect them actually to to certainly be in the push for the playoffs. Okay well that's who I expect to be in and around the top but what about those at the bottom staring down the barrel of relegation we'll chat over them next. This is the Tony Football League show part of the Athletic Podcast Network. So these are the teams that Paddy Power expect to be ending the season in and around the bottom of the table. Wickham, Sheffield Wednesday, Rotherham, Luton, Reading and QPR. Uh, Adrian, you, you've done your 1-24. to 24. Who's 22-24 to 24 in your Ooh, table? Oh, 22. Well, look, it's, it's subject to change, but I'll give you my bottom six. Okay, I've got Huddersfield, Reading, Birmingham, Rotherham, Sheffield Wednesday and Wickham. So there you go. Um, I think three from those six in my view, will go down. So, so you'll notice I've left out Luton there, left out Barnsley, also left out QPR. Um, so, so yeah, they're, they're the six that I think might struggle most. Sam, everybody thinks Wickham are going to go straight back down, including Wickham supporters who I've spoken to about it. Can, can you make any case for them defying the odds and, and getting the second season in the Championship? Watch yesterday's game against Brentford. Um, everything that we saw from them in the playoffs that we know about Gareth Ainsworth's team was there in in evidence again at the the higher stage so they're going to win you know against some top clubs I would say especially at Adams Park and they're going to frustrate teams away from home you know it's incredible we spoke about them back in the last season you just believe that spirit is worth uh, a nice return of points for them and I wholeheartedly believe that individuals if we want to talk about them just quickly Daryl Horgan, who scored the goal yesterday, looks like a clever bit of business. Been playing for for Hibs previously at, at Preston. Um, not only just his goal, but nearly made another one. Very cool with his penalty. Looks like a good acquisition. And Ikpiatsu, if that's how you pronounce it. I didn't have a look. That was on my list of things to do today. But he's had a bit of a nomadic career, but did very well initially at Hearts. So well that I think the old firm were actually taking note. So that's a good capture. He's not played in the championship before though, so that's a bit of a concern. He is very direct and and a handful. I remember seeing him at Port Vale when he was when he was very young and um caused Swindon all manner of problems when I saw him live. So that's someone who can add a lot to that forward line when Akinfen was not not available. So yeah, I, I see Wickham having a scrap and it could go either way. But uh, they're gonna be down there in the bottom four, bottom five. I want to say Ikpezu, but I might be wrong. Um, we'll find out. What about what about Luton, Sam, with, with Nathan Jones there for a, for a full season? You saw them, obviously, at a close hand at the weekend against Norwich. It was a great escape last time round. Do you think it's going to be something similar required? Or, or with that, that nous of how to stay in, might they have it a bit easier this time? I think so. I just, I just think with, with Nathan Jones back there, if they can just mirror what they did in League 2 and League 1 that got them such success. The players obviously enjoy playing for him. They know what he wants. 
I think they'd have liked another striker, in all honesty, because you've got Collins and you've got Hilton. But I would have thought another one would have been, you know, exciting for the supporters. Because like I said, the signings have been kind of like for like. Breeze come back from, from Villa. Tom Lockyer to replace um, Cameron Carter-Vickers, who I think they tried to get. Lockyer's had a really good season at, at Charlton and was great for Wales actually um, the other night so that's a good signing but it's not those exciting signings probably that the that the fans would have enjoyed in this close season but I just think it's all about that intensity with Luton um, getting on top of teams especially in the home games and um, if they can do that then yeah I think they can be optimistic about not having that relegation battle but it's not going to be anything better than mid-table for me. No mention of Coventry in there, so that's good news for you Sky Blues fans. You're going to be okay. Well, one team who really are up against it this season are Sheffield Wednesday, starting the campaign on minus 12 points. I caught up with Nancy Frostick earlier. She covers the Owls on every day of the week. Nancy, you were there for the 0-0 draw and subsequent shootout win over Walsall at the weekend. Was it as much fun as it sounds? It, it was by the time we got to penalties. The game itself was um, was fairly uneventful, to be honest. I think Wednesday had one shot on target, which probably uh, tells us everything we need to know. But um, Gary Monk had decided to sort of start without any any strikers. So we had Adam Reach and Izzy Brown sort of playing up front, which was, um, was interesting when they've just signed a, a couple of uh, forwards. But... The penalty shootout itself was pretty eventful. I think Cameron Dawson saved one and then uh, Walsall hit the bar. So it was a bit unlucky for them, but um, a good game in the, in the end. You know, Wednesday got what they needed from it, so not too bad. You mentioned Izzy Brown there. He, he hit the winning penalty. Tell us about him and some of the other additions Gary Monk has been able to make. Um, you've written about the returning Josh Windass for The Athletic, haven't you? Yeah, it's um, been quite a good transfer window for Wednesday so far. They've managed to... Um, get some good names, a good mix of sort of youth and experience. So um, yeah, Windass is is back now on a permanent deal, which I think is something that Wednesday had been pushing for um, since he went back to Wigan at the end of his loan um, just a few months ago. So that that's a good move. Wednesday needs strikers, um, and and he can play in that position. And they also signed um, Elias Kachunga from um, or, well, he's a free agent, but he had recently just been released by Huddersfield. So. Um, that sort of strengthening their ranks there because they only had Jordan Rhodes as uh, as a striker and, and that was literally it in their, among their senior players. So yeah, them and Izzy, Bra- Izzy Brown's a great um, great addition for them because it just adds a bit of uh, attacking quality and maybe will share the burden um, that's sometimes placed on Barry Bannon to create things. Um, I'm sure you know Bannon will appreciate maybe sharing those duties a little bit because sometimes I think there's a lot of expectation on him to make things happen on his own so yeah some really um really good signings and then one more was um Fasayo Deli Bashiru who uh, Wednesday signed from from Manchester City he's I think he's 19 played in central midfield against Walsall and was really um one of the most exciting players on the pitch you know driving straight through the middle of of park and trying to make things happen which on his senior debut debut was uh, pretty impressive so yeah some good signings so far so Delhi Bashiru um, a teenager who's standing out are there any other outlets who we should keep an eye on Abby tells me that an outlet is the name for a young owl 
<laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I've never called them that, but that, that <laughs> could be one to catch on. Yeah, Matt Penny, um, he's probably one of the more established sort of academy products at Wednesday. Um, he played again at the weekend and, and really stood out at left wing back. And he's spent last season on loan at St Pauli in Germany and um, had previously broken through in the first team. So he'll definitely be one to, to keep an eye on. And then others, um, Alex Hunt's another one in. He plays central midfield um, and he's quite similar to Barry Bannon. Very much learned a lot from him. Um, in terms of his style of play. So they're probably the main two, um, as well as Delhi Bashiru, to, to keep an eye out for this season. So last time we spoke, the, the club had just been handed the 12-point deduction. They've had a bit of time to digest that news now. What's the feeling around Hillsborough ahead of, ahead of the season, starting with Saturday's game at Cardiff? Um, I'd say it's positive, actually. I mean, I know some, some of the fans were slightly frustrated with how the game panned out on Saturday, but in terms of the league form... Um, the most important thing to note is probably that Wednesday are prepared to rise to that challenge in terms of, you know, the team and, and Gary Monk. You know, the manager's made it clear that he wants to sort of repair some of the bond between the players and, and the fans and really open the team up. So um, he spoke to us before the game on Saturday and said that basically he wants the fans to feel like they know the players, uh, not just as, you know, someone who plays for Sheffield Wednesday on a Saturday, but actually know things about them and, and know them as a human being as well. So that's kind of an interesting and exciting new direction maybe for the club to to move towards, um, just to really promote that engagement because it, it's going to be so important um, if and when the fans can get back in this season that everyone's behind the team and if if things are maybe more difficult than expected or if they you know breeze through this 12 point deduction and are then able to mount something more of a challenge then that'll that'll be crucial but um yeah I think it's positive and every player that they've brought in seems really you know keen to just rise to the challenge and hasn't been put off at all by by the points deduction so um there's, there's plenty for them to build on Nancy Frostick there find her on Twitter at Nancy Frostick uh, Sam, let's have a quick word on your beloved Queen's Park Rangers. No SA, so it won't be easy. Uh, do you think they will be struggling down the bottom, nicely mired in mid-table, or, or is there an outside chance of a, a playoff push? Oh, mate, who knows? Who knows is the answer. And I'm allowed to say that with QPR. Yeah, a lot of young players, I suppose, uh, in the side the other day at Plymouth and on the periphery, so we're going to see that again. Um, I like the two sign-ins. How can you not? I think that to get Rob Dickey's a great bit of business. He completely just replicates what Grant Hall's done so well for Rangers, I think. He's obviously off to Middlesbrough now. And Lyndon Dykes is really exciting. Obviously started for Scotland as well the other day. Done really well at Livingston. Looks like a handful. Looks like he can run behind. Looks like he can come to feet and obviously going to be a big threat, uh, big threat aerially as well. So... Um, I'm excited about those two, but in terms of improving on last season, I can't see it. I think, again, it's going to be about stabilising in the division. And um, I think Mark Warburton's the right guy. So they just have to have patience, the the Rangers fans, and, and hopefully in time he can build something there. OK, there are a couple more teams who catch the eye. We'll chat about them after this. What 
is this? A crossover episode? Well, Mr. Peanut Butter, yes, it is in a way. For who's <laughs> that I can see marching over the hills toward Totally Towers? It's only Ali Maxwell and George Ellick of the Going Up, Going Down podcast. What the dickens are you two doing here? <laughs> Hello, Matt. Hello. What a, what a wonderful unveiling uh, and what a great pleasure for us to be joining forces uh, with your good self and your team uh, on the Totally Football League show. And we're just so excited to, to be a part of it. So as listeners might know, we've had the Going Up, Going Down podcast with The Athletic for the last kind of just under a year or so, I think. Mm. And, and we've spoken to you guys and we're delighted that we are that show will be becoming the Totally Football League show extra time, extra time every Thursday. So lots of the same stuff we were doing um, previously on Going Up, Going Down. We'll be looking at teams in focus. We will be um, interviewing key personnel from managers to players to fans as well, um, talking about all the leagues. But crucially, on Thursday this week, we're going to be doing our League One and League Two preview. So you guys have got the championship. We've got the really exciting stuff in League One <laughs> and League Two. And, and how are we feeling about the League One and, and League Two seasons? Is, is there a standout team that, that you think are going to be the obvious promotion candidates in, in either division? Well, that's an excellent question. I think uh, in League Two, we are both aligned on Salford City being quite good. Uh, in League Two, certainly where the bookmakers uh, are coming from, there are two heavy favourites, and that's Salford and Bolton Wanderers. I think both of us feel, and I'm sure we will go deeper on this, uh, on the podcast uh, later on in the week, that, that 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 going all in on Bolton with just a complete revamp of of the playing staff and the the management staff just seems a little bit too early and, and a bit of a leap of faith. Whereas certainly we've looked at Salford City, who you know had first season in the EFL last season, uh, a lot was expected of them, and they were a pretty solid mid table team. They they really got stronger and stronger as they sort of grew into the season and essentially it, a lot of it comes down to transfer business as well. Salford are able to attract some League One quality players and that's what they've been doing both in the January window and this summer. So, you know, it, in the current crisis uh, in terms of football finance down at the bottom of uh, the Football League, we do think that Salford, uh, f- f- however they've done it, uh, have been able to build a squad that should take them to the top of the league. And, and in League One, we weren't so aligned, but there's definitely a couple <laughs> of teams that we both think will be up there. Yeah, League One's a bit of a curious case because normally you have very strong teams coming down from the Championship, but this year we have three sides who don't look in great shape. Uh, Wigan's uh, issues are obviously well documented uh, off the pitch and therefore on it. Charlton are still you know, hoping for a takeover to go through fairly soon, but they're under an embargo and can't strengthen the squad they'd want to. And Hull had such a torrid end to last season as well. So they don't come down looking particularly strong, although they have made some good signings, which means it's probably going to be the likely lads from last year, really. Uh, Peterborough, Portsmouth, Sunderland, Oxford, Fleetwood, the teams who were in and around the playoffs who didn't quite get promotion, but looking good stead. But I think what we can say about both League One and League Two, which didn't look like it was going to be a given, back in, in March and April. We're just happy to have 48 clubs, 24 in, in each mm. division starting the season. Uh, and fingers crossed it stays that way throughout the campaign. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, now, a lot of our listeners will listen to your show. Plenty more will know you both from your various TV appearances. But but for anybody who's not familiar with your story, what, what was it about the, the EFL that, that, that made you want to get into it, to podcasting about it and, and doing so very successfully? <laughs> Uh, I'm an Oxford fan, so um, except for a brief stint going to non-league grounds for a few years, which I try hard to forget, the EFL has always been my bread and butter. Uh, I love football. And um, Ali and I have been friends since we were kind of 
about eight or nine years old and he mm. used to come with me to the Kassam Stadium back then as a supporting uh, uh, another team, shall we say. <laughs> and yeah, just a few years ago, about four or five years ago, I was working in a not as such a creative role as I wanted to be in sport. And so um, had the idea that maybe my creative friend Ali with loads of followers on Twitter would want to do a podcast with me. Yeah, I think from my point of view, I may have come to the EFL late compared to George, but I fell hard. It's definitely fair <laughs> to say. I actually got a job. My first job after university was as a researcher on the Football League Highlights show, which at that time was on Channel 5. Broadcasting was always what I was what I was trying to, to head towards. So, you know, it was, a, it was a, a happy meeting of minds at a time where what, four or five years ago, there wasn't a huge amount of, of in-depth coverage of the EFL. And now, thanks to so many other people, uh, yourselves, of course, uh, I think it's in a really good place, coverage of the EFL. And, and hopefully, together, uh, we can continue to create something really good for, for people who are as passionate about it as we are. Yeah, that's why we're all here after all. Well, listen, we thank you so much for coming on. We're really excited to have you as part of the uh, Totally Football League show brand. Do join Ali, George and friends every Thursday for the Totally Football League show. Extra time, but for now, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks very much. Cheers, Matt. Tweet here that's coming from Martin Johansson. He wants to know which will be the better Welsh side this season. We've spoken a little bit about Swansea already, Adrian, but we were really impressed with what Neil Harris did at Cardiff last season. Would you expect them to be able to improve on that this time round? They'll be just as good, I think. Yeah, they've, they've signed a quality centre forward in Kiefer Moore who will suit them down to the ground. Target man, hardworking, just it will set the tone for the rest of the team. And had competition with Glatzel up front, of course. So, so yeah, no Cardiff um, are, are very much in my mind as as automatic contenders. I think they're more likely to go up via the playoffs, but but I, I see them being there or thereabouts. Harris, Neil Harris is a very stable manager, and he's got a good groove going there. You know, opponents will not like facing Cardiff City. We saw how close they pushed Fulham, of course, now Premier League side in that playoff semi-final second leg at Craven Cottage. They worried the life out of them by sheer weight of, of effort and teamwork and uh, and all of those ingredients that, that Neil Harris embodies, really. So, so yeah, I think that Cardiff will be strong. And, and Swansea, I would imagine, will finish behind Cardiff, but, but, but they'll be top half, in my opinion. What do you think, Sam? Only three points between them in the table last season. You expect it to be pretty close in terms of their final positions this time round too? Yeah, I do. I'll maybe flip it on its head and say I think Swansea maybe get a few more points if they can get that extra front man that I think they, they require. Questionable as to whether Bruce is going to be an option. I think there's talk of him maybe going to a, a Premier League club on, on loan and he probably deserves it after what what he did back end of last season but no I, I agree with Adrian in in what Neil Harris has done what I expect him to do and with the addition of Keith Moore because essentially they did it without you know that that playoff campaign last year without someone that was a, a, an automatic pick I mean Glatzel showed flashes towards the end and I, it, the, the noise was that Neil Harris likes him but he persisted with Patterson and obviously uh, Ward as well he's gone off to Huddersfield now so having Keith Moore uh, is a great bit of business and he will get them goals and he will mean that they have a a better points return. But again, I'm with Adrian. I think it's playoffs probably at best for both of those two. 
couple of other teams to look at. Derby County, no points deduction for them, it turns out. Uh, Adrian, they got rid of a couple of players who caused them some problems off the pitch last season. We know that Wayne Rooney's coaching credentials have been enhanced massively by what he did on the touchline at Soccer Aid this past weekend. Um, <laughs> do you see them making a making a genuine push for promotion this time? Uh, Bear in mind, this is the this is the pundit who was keen to get rid of Philip Cocker at the first sign yeah. of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forgive me for um, yeah, I forgot Soccer Aid was on. It completely passed me by. Probably wouldn't have watched it anyway. But but yeah, there you go. Um, Rooney, I still think he might be manager at Derby County by the end of the season. I really do. Yeah, they've got good young players who, again, will be better for the experiences last year. Lost a couple, haven't they, to Sheffield United this week. But they've still got Max Bird. They've still got Louis Sibley, who I think is a really exciting young player. And they've brought in, you know, good good goalkeeper, a better goalkeeper, in my opinion, David Marshall from, from Wigan. And Matt Clark might turn out to be the, the the best signing they make. They've renewed his loan spell from Brighton for a second year. He was a player of the year at Pride Park last year. So, so no, Derby, I don't think it'll be a disastrous season. And it looked for a while, it might be um, last year for them. They they turned it around. But no, I think it'd be more stable there. But um, I don't know. I still don't see them as, as promotion contenders. Fingers crossed. Uh, what about Reading? They've got a new boss. His name's Velko Paunovic. He's a Serb whose only previous managerial experience was with various Serbia age group teams and Chicago Fire. Uh, it's one of them, Sam, isn't it? Really, really tough to predict. Sa- same kind of situation with, with Watford and, and their new boss, I suppose. You, you never know with somebody coming into this league whether they'll take to it quickly or be like, oh, championship, this is very hard. I mean, it's been really strange, hasn't it, the, the last couple of weeks? Um I, I didn't feel that Mark Bowen was probably the right manager to take Reading forward. I thought he did a good job last season. He certainly sorted them out defensively and they had some really good results. But the home form were, was woeful um, towards the end of the season. Lost the last three on the bounce as well. So I think coming into this summer, the, the jury was very much out. I think the Reading fans wouldn't have been completely opposed to a change. But it's the timing. It's the way it's been done. I think they... I think Mark Bowen and his his coaching staff were in Portugal when the new manager was there. It's just been all a bit of a mess. But I think the other side of it is let's not forget that these owners brought Mark Bowen to the club and gave him an opportunity uh, as director of football or whatever it was and then uh, as manager. So there's there's, um, two sides to every story. This, This comes out of left field. This manager, I actually saw him in charge of Chicago Fire and... They were in freefall. <laughs> the, the, the period that I actually saw uh, him when he was in the dugout, they were really poor side. Schweinsteiger was there, and um, yeah, I think they finished second bottom in in, in uh, 2018 or 2017. So he, he's not been brilliant when I've seen him taking charge. But like you say, we've seen some incredible appointments. Daniel Farker's the one that jumps out to me um, when we probably mocked it. Um, when he was appointed, Lamushi maybe not to the to the extent of Farker, but similar appointment. But unfortunately for Reading fans, they had Jose Gomez um, in charge, and it was a bit of a disaster. So that's what they'll be. Great they'll be Portuguese slant, great Portuguese slant on Gomez. There. I watched a um, very good food pro- program on Lisbon the other day. Pasto de Natas. Wow, okay. that was a bit no. Sean Connery, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, it's just, it's I don't just know another... what it was. <laughs> On Reading, I just think it's another gear change, it's another change of direction. How many changes of direction is this squad going to be able to absorb without sort of imploding? That, that's the, that's what I'd ask. It might work, 
but but it, it feels like here we go again an influx maybe of, of Eastern European players will that happen I don't know just yeah it's a, it's a strange club at the moment big change of direction by the way we haven't mentioned Huddersfield uh, Corbyn coming in um, Bielsa's former assistant big change in, in their style by all accounts so so it'll be fascinating to see see how that works didn't go well on his debut against Rochdale but over time you know once they get super fit maybe they will improve Huddersfield but yeah it's a, it's a big gear change from them yeah and, and speaking of Huddersfield I guess one thing that we should probably talk about is the fact that there is a, a rather large Cowley shaped shadow looming over championship clubs we know that some will dispense with managers pretty early on Sam Paunovic may be one of those who might come under pressure early if things don't go well. Corbin too. Anybody else who you think <laughs> might uh, might need a good start to the season to to avoid getting their P45? Well, Dean Holden maybe at Bristol City. Yeah, that would be not one. Not particularly whelmed with that appointment, were they? So maybe under a bit of pressure. From yeah, the start. maybe Jason Tindall for the same kind of reasoning. I suppose all the the, the chaps that have gone in at the the relegated sides. Ivic at uh, Watford uh, as well. How have we just? How have we waited until now to say that? Considering the amount of managers they've had over the last decade, so yeah, and the, and obviously there's there's noise already that the in the tabloids that the Watford players aren't best pleased with the intensity of the training sessions and all that. But they looked pretty good against Tottenham at the weekend, um, certainly. But yeah, I would say the, the the guys that have come down with the the Premier League relegated sides and. Um, the guys that came down with the relegated Premier League sides and Dean Holden, just because I think the Bristol City fans were wanting a bit of excitement. And uh, he was very, very good in those games that he, he, he took charge of um, at the back end of last season. But I don't think he'd have been at the top of the many Bristol City fans lists. Yeah, I'll, I'll go for Daniel Farker because although I, I actually think Norwich will probably be top two, and I think they got a great shot of winning the title, actually, because of their recruitment, because they've got such a, a set of way of playing. And they've done it before in the Championship without having a solid defence they've been promoted. That said, if they get off to a really shaky start and they lose a few games early on, I just wonder, you know, given what happened to them in the Premier League, given how bad they were post-lockdown, will the board there pull the trigger on, on Daniel Farker. I think he's on shaky ground. I really do. But in the space of three or four months, he could be a hero again in Norfolk. It's, it's, it's that fine a margin really with him. Could be a hero or could be a sad Farker. We will find out in the <laughs> coming months. And um, that's just about it for this week. Regular listeners will be familiar with our lighthearted and finally section where I ask the chaps a relatively low wattage question. Uh, this week, it's marginally more legit than usual. With ex-championship player Calvin Phillips having gained an England call-up, I'd like to know which player from the second tier will be next to be selected by Gareth Southgate. Who do you think, Adrian? <laughs> Uh, I've written down four names and I've just realised that, that, that only one of them is still in the championship. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going on last season, really. Jude Bellingham, I think, is, is the one that stands out as, as a championship-born player that will will eventually come into the full national team. I, I think that, that that is probably inevitable. I think it's too early to say for, for a lot of them. Rian Brewster, another one that stands out, but again, he's, he's Liverpool's player. Um, Sibley is the one I think to to put put a sort of cross next to at the moment. If if he can really shine this season in the way that Derby expect him to, he might get a big move, and then in a season or two he might be knocking on the door. Let's see. Who's the new David Nugent? Sam, what do you reckon? Oh well, you've got the 
Norwich lads that have been away with the 21s. Um, so there's some good players there. You've obviously got Watkins. I would give you two. Morgan Gibbs-White, considering he's in the championship now. Had a look at his numbers. Don't think he's scored a league goal yet. I think he's just got one in the Europa and he's near on, I think, 80-odd appearances. So he needs to improve on his output. But obviously being down and, and hopefully playing every week for Swansea, he should do that and hopefully force his way back into Nuno's plans at Wolves and, and, and maybe in time do what Sancho and, and some of those chaps from that under-17 winning World Cup squad are doing. Um, so he would be one. And the other one, which is my biggest curveball, Rico Henry um, at Brentford. Really good season and being linked along with um, Watkins and Ben Rahman with Premier League clubs as well. So maybe, don't remember exactly who he's been linked with, but certainly Aston Villa, I think with Dean Smith would be an obvious one. So if he can get that Premier League move in, in time, uh, we seem to be developing a problem, left-sided problem once more with the national team. Maybe he could be an option. Good show. Good stuff. We'll see if the chaps are right. Okay, don't forget to join Ali and George for their League One and Two preview show on Thursday. We'll see, slash hear you, same time, same place next week. But from me, from Sam, from Adrian and from Abby, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and following at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all the Athletics football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media. Yes, that music means one thing and one thing only. The Offside Rule WSL edition is back. Woohoo! And the WSL is bigger and better than ever before. Which means we need to do the same. And that's why we've got interviews with the biggest names, the brightest minds in the game, as well as all the in-depth match analysis you've come to know and love. Just search for the Offside Rule WSL edition, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can find us ad-free on the Athletic app. That's the Offside Rule WSL edition, out every Tuesday.